Hi, this is Glenn Rawson. One of the most powerful ways to share history and heritage is by the telling of stories. We began sharing inspiring stories nearly 30 years ago. Each of those stories is true and was intended to inspire and strengthen faith. Over the years, those stories have reached millions around the world. This podcast is for you to listen, learn, and enjoy. story begins in the fall of 1826. Young Joseph Smith went to work for the Knight family in Colesville, New York. Now, it was there that he worked as a farmhand. And you know that this is between 1823 and 1827. He is preparing himself to receive the gold plates. He's down to the wire and the last part of the preparation. In time, Joseph would trust the Knight family, and he would tell them his story. How much he told them, I don't really know. I'm not sure anybody knows. But they had confidence and faith in him. And all through the translation process, they were there. They helped him. They supported him. They fed him. They gave him paper. April 6th, 1830. The Knight family was there in Fayette, New York, when the church was organized. June 28, 1830, Mother Polly Peck Knight, the matriarch of the clan, was baptized with others in her family. The Colesville branch would become uniquely one of the first branches of the church. And indeed, they would stay together for a branch for a long time in the early restoration. They consisted of, what, four or five interrelated families that made up that branch. Then in December of 1830, the point of my story, there came a startling revelation. The Lord commanded the saints to move from New York to gather to the Ohio, the Lord promising, there you shall be endowed with power. In the revelations that surrounded that announcement, the Lord declared, speaking of the Knight family and others who were farmers, he said, they that have farms that cannot be sold, let them be left or rented as seemeth them good. Can you imagine investing your whole life in a piece of property, in a farm, a prosperous farm, and then just walking away for the sake of the kingdom of God? Well, the Knight family sold part of their land, not for the full price, and walked away from the rest of it. That, to me, in and of itself, is heroic. Well, they set out for the Ohio. They arrived in the Ohio, around Kirtland, Thompson, Ohio, actually, in May of 1831. There was a member of the church there by the name of Lehman Copley. Lehman Copley was a recent convert from Quakerism who had consecrated his land, like a thousand-acre farm, for the building up of the kingdom of God on the earth. And so these saints from Colesville came all that way, hundreds of miles from New York, and were welcomed onto Copley's farm. They began to plow and plant, build fences, build cabins, and improve the land, and then shortly thereafter, Lehman Copley became disaffected and left the church and called the sheriff, 
and evicted the Colesville branch. Now what? You talk about turbulence in your life just when they think that they have had a new life, a new beginning, a new faith, following a new prophet. Their whole world gets turned upside down. The Lord gives a revelation commanding the Colesville branch as a group, as a body, to go to Zion, Jackson County, Missouri. And they set out on the journey. And this is my point. This is the part of this story I learned from William G. Hartley. Just warms my soul. As they left the Kirtland area and traveled towards western Missouri, Mother Knight became ill. And the further they journeyed to the west, going down the rivers, the sicker she got. At one point, Newell actually got off the boat to obtain wood to build a coffin for his mother. And yet, Polly Peck Knight hung on, refused to die. Her determination was to go to Zion to receive the blessings of being one of the first in Zion. Somehow, by some miracle, Mother Knight made it. And on the 25th of July, 1831, she made it to Zion, becoming among those, among the first, to lay the foundation of the land of Zion. She was there when the temple lot, the temple block was dedicated. She was there to see the dedication of the land of Zion. And then, shortly thereafter, on August 6th, 1831, Mother Polly Peck Knight passed away. Quote, she quietly fell asleep, rejoicing in the everlasting gospel and praising God that she was able to see the land of Zion. Her greatest heart's desire had been fulfilled. Now, the gathering place has moved. We gathered for a time in Jackson County, Missouri. Then we gathered for a time in Kirtland. Then we gathered for a time in Nauvoo. We gathered for a time in the Salt Lake Valley. And now we gather to the stakes of Zion throughout the world at the Lord's command. The gathering place has changed and it may yet change again. But one thing has not changed spirit of the gathering. Mother Polly Peck Knight became the first, the first to give up everything to gather with the saints in the land of Zion. She became the matriarch and the first martyr of the gathering, giving her life for that cause. And incidentally, Mother Polly Peck Knight she journeyed 1,300 miles approximately from her home in Colesville, New York, to gather with the saints in Missouri, 1,300 miles, exactly the same distance that the saints would travel to gather from Nauvoo to Zion in the Rocky Mountains, 1,300 miles. Our people have given so much in the spirit of the gathering, to leave hearth and home, kith and kin, and all their worldly possessions to come to Zion. It will not be the last time I will speak of the gathering.
Second story. This man, though not perfect, seems larger than life. Absolutely amazing. And I have met some of his posterity. And if they have just a portion of the courage of this great man, then they're as great as grandpa. The date is June 23rd, 1843 in Dixon, Illinois. Stephen Markham is with the prophet Joseph Smith, with Emma, visiting her family in Dixon, Illinois, when two officers, two lawmen, show up to arrest Joseph to extradite him back to Missouri. Now, there's a lot to that story, and Documents Volume 10 of the Joseph Smith Papers tells you a lot more about it. But suffice it to say, Missouri had made two attempts already to get Joseph back into their hands. This was the third attempt. Joseph knew that if he ever crossed that river and went back to Missouri, his life was forfeit. And everyone else knew it too. And these officers came and they literally walked up to Joseph, shoved a gun in his side and attempted to take him away. Seeing that, Stephen Markham walked across the yard and beelined right straight for him. They commanded him to stop. Markham just kept walking. Seeing that his guns, their guns, didn't intimidate Stephen, the officers turned their weapons into Joseph, dug their pistols into his side, and said, in effect, you stop or he dies. Stephen stopped. They then took Joseph and hustled him into a wagon. Joseph asked for permission to say goodbye to his family and to get some clothes. The officers refused. Hearing that, Stephen, ignoring their weapons, jumped forward and grabbed the bits of the horse's bridle so that they couldn't move. Well, the officers gave in to Joseph's request. He was able to say goodbye to his family and obtain the clothes, and the officers rode off with Joseph, heading for Missouri. Stephen, bless his soul, sprang into action. He immediately rode on ahead, and suffice it to say, they mounted a posse. They headed off the officers. A writ of habeas corpus was obtained. Joseph was set free on the charges of the false arrest. That would not be, and certainly it was not the beginning nor the end of Joseph's legal troubles. For the time that Joseph in late Nauvoo was there, he fought constantly. He was completely and constantly embattled. Court costs and lawyers racked up until finally Stephen, bless his heart, sold his home in Nauvoo. Twelve hundred dollars in 1843. Can you imagine that amount of money? And then gave the entire sum to Joseph to help him and moved his family into a tent. Fast forward. June 25th, 1844. Joseph and Hiram went to Carthage to give themselves up. Voluntarily, Stephen went with them. Later on, when the charges against them were, they posted bail and were allowed to go free, Joseph and Hiram were suddenly charged with treason and remanded to jail. Treason is an unbailable offense, so they were sent to Carthage jail voluntarily. Stephen went to the cell with them. He remained in the jail 
at Joseph's side. I remember in the stories and the accounts that as they went to the jail, men lined the way on both sides. Joseph and Hiram walked the gauntlet going towards the jail. And as the men taunted and jeered and insulted and tried to hit the prophet Joseph, Stephen was standing by his side with a hickory stick. He would later call it the rascal beater, knocking down the weapons and protecting the prophet all the way to Carthage jail. He would remain in Carthage jail until the 27th of June, 1844, at 1.30 that afternoon. Joseph sent Stephen out to obtain some medicine for Willard, who was having an upset stomach. When Stephen returned, the guards would not let him in. Stephen said, in effect, I'm going in. And they said, no, you're not. And it became a tussle. They forced Stephen onto his horse. He refused to leave. And according to Stephen's own account, I read the words in the letter. Stephen records that they stabbed his legs with their bayonets to force him to leave until his boots were full of his own blood. And only then did he finally ride away. Just days earlier, and this is why I tell you the story, on Sunday night, June 24th, Joseph was preparing to ride west with Hiram. When letter came, asking him to come back and give himself up. As Joseph stood on the west bank of the Mississippi, contemplating whether to give himself up and go to Carthage, he knew he was going to die, or ride on to the west and find a home for the saints. As he stood there, Stephen Markham said to him, I will do as you want me, whatever it may be. I will go with you to Carthage or stop here and defend the city until I die or go and give myself, just give myself up. Whatever you say to do, Joseph, I will do. Upon hearing that, Joseph bowed his head as if in deep thought, then raised his head and said, Brother Markham, you have always done as I wanted and you always will. End of quote and considering the life of Colonel Stephen Markham. So he did. My friends, I want to be that kind of man. I want to put forth a greater effort to listen to, to love, obey, and serve the same cause as President Nelson. I want to be as loyal to our prophets now as Stephen was to Joseph. Next story. October 10th, 1830, in a small town in Ohio. 15-year-old Lucy sat in the home of her employer, a Mrs. Abigail Daniels, tending to her weaving when suddenly there came a knock at the door. When Lucy, young Lucy, opened up the door, there stood three well-dressed, nice-looking gentlemen. Lucy invited them in, collected their hats, and gave them some chairs. As soon as they were seated, the young men came forward with a most remarkable story. They told Lucy and Mrs. Daniels that the gospel had been restored, 
and that there was a new book of scripture and a new prophet and angels and this great rejoicing message of the restoration when all of a sudden Mrs. Daniels interrupted, cut them off and explained that she would not have her children polluted with such doctrine. She called them imposters, deceivers, and ordered them to leave. Well, they tried to reason with her, but to no avail. The woman was irrational and angry. Then, changing tacks, the three young men said that they were hungry. They had traveled a long way with nothing to eat. Could they have something to eat? And defying all the rules of frontier hospitality, the woman said, and I quote, I have plenty, but nothing for you. And she threw them out. At that point, Lucy said she could not stand it any longer. She said, I had been sitting there all this time listening to her foul tongue, and I could stand it no longer. For I felt Listen to this. If you know the rest of this story, it just gives you chills. I felt that they were the servants of God as they said they were. Gentlemen, she said, and you can just hear the fire in her voice. Gentlemen, she said, my father lives one mile from here. He never turns anyone away hungry from his door. Go there and you will be fed and cared for. And with that, Lucy gave them their hats led them outside, showed them the way to go, and the three young men walked down the road, found Lucy's father, shared the message with him. He joined the church. His whole family joined the church. Lucy joined the church. And because of her father and who and what he was, dozens of other people joined the church. Indeed, over a hundred People joined the church because of the first efforts of that tender, sweet 15-year-old girl named Lucy Diantha Morley. Her father, Isaac Morley, who would go on and serve the Lord for the rest of his days, as did his family, and would eventually immigrate to Utah, settle in the San Pete, and become a great patriarch and father over a numerous posterity. You don't have to be an old duffer like me to have courage and show forth real ability in the Lord's kingdom. I've seen some of my children exercise incredible faith and great courage standing up against the odds. Bless the memory of Lucy Diantha Morley for her courage and her strength. Thank you for listening. Many of the stories you heard today have been published and are archived at glenrossonstories.com. If you would like more information, you can communicate with us there. We will be back again with another podcast next week. <music>